0: FaceMeat.
1: FaceMeat is the worst (laughs) band name I could possibly think of. Hey, and welcome to Meet Your Heroes. I'm Elliot.
0: And I'm Audrey.
1: And this is the podcast where we ignore the very good conventional wisdom to never meet your heroes and instead get to see them for who they really were.
0: Yeah, speaking of seeing people for who they are, okay, we're gonna jump in with me showing you some art.
1: Uh, there is never a better way to start a podcast
0: than with art. Than right? by
1: showing the listeners art. Yes. yes,
0: yes, we will put these photos in the like social media notes. But to kickstart that, yeah, before we get started on that,
1: I get to see it. too. You get
0: to see it. You get to describe it.
1: Oh, okay. Let's see. So we got what we got.
0: Okay, so we have three photos from this week's hero, Eugene-Henri Paul Gauguin, or the very American Paul Gauguin. Okay.
1: Okay. (laughs) Um,
0: Depending on how quickly I'm speaking, our listeners might uh, hear both variations. But we've got three paintings. I'd love for you to take a look at them. Um, Like I said, we'll put them in the show notes. But just describe them. What do they look like? How do they make you feel?
1: Okay, so they're... They're definitely painted with paint.
0: They are painted.
1: Um, they're not like super photorealistic. Uh, they're kind of like uh, bold colors and like clearly people, but not trying to be a port- like an exact replica here. There's a little bit of an artistic license in the background, right? Yes. Uh, but it's bold colors. Almost all women. Uh, mo- most of the women... Well, there's a kid in one of them on one of the women's shoulders. Uh, most of these women are not white, although maybe some of them and one of them are but not yeah mostly not white women not a lot of shirts being worn in a lot of these photos i'm noticing mm-hmm. like some dresses like some half skirt dresses things but yeah so it's like very bright bold colorful pictures of not white women in not much clothes
0: yes i that feels like an accurate retelling of what you just saw okay so goga okay. is I-
1: I've been practicing my art criticism.
0: Oh, good. Yes, is that art criticism? <laughs> yeah, I will. Uh, I'll tag some art critics I know and let them know that you're you're awesome. up on it. Perfect. They're, you're coming for them.
1: Ready? I'm ready. <laughs>
0: um, yes. Yeah, so, Gauguin, arguably one of the most famous painters from the late nineteenth early early twentieth century art world.
1: Okay. The okay. way you
0: described it was his art is. Um, probably exactly what he would have wanted okay right so he's creating i'm not in...
1: missing the point here there's not like some deep thing that just, just no. like escapes me okay
0: no he is creating in the mid 1880s and he is of this like school movement category called uh, post impressionists Very specifically, he is what is what comes to be known as the synthetism movement, which was like a direct reaction to Impressionism, which was supposed to capture objects in light exactly as they were or the way that light reflected objects or created objects. So the fact that it's like flat, two dimensional, not photorealistic, very um, imprecise.
1: Mm -hmm. Imprecise is a good word.
0: Yes, that is uh exactly what he was going for.
1: Okay. So wait, so impressionism that was Monet. That was Monet.
0: Manet, the blurry Pissarro. Yeah,
1: but yes. also very like you said the light is what's right about that.
0: Yes. Think water lilies. Water lilies, yeah. Right. So the way that light can be depicted with paint. It's not exactly – it's not photorealistic, but it is a comment on the way that light creates what we see with our eyes. Yeah. The way that, that light moves and creates objects. Gauguin is like, fuck light. Here's <laughs> yeah. some colors. Um, and so the the art that he's Man, creating – and I, we're going to talk about his life in a second. But I feel like speaking to this, this moment in art really sets the stage. Yeah, and,
1: and just like thinking I, – I lose track sometimes. Like there's whole people like artists who live their lives in this like – Light versus colors beef, right? Like, that was the thing. Oh, it's thing. a
0: beef. Yes, yeah, so really. Like, they're
1: like, no, no, I am yes. not going to stick to your tyrannical paintings of light on these water lilies. Fuck that. No, we're just going to go and like slap. Give me some brand new paints. Yes. Paints you never even heard of before.
0: <laughs> I mean, so when you think about art history, and for any of our listeners who don't know this, I am just a. Uh, art history fanatic. It's what I studied in school. Hopeless art history fanatic. Eventually we'll study again. But one thing that's important to recognize, especially before the advent of mass media, where everybody could see all the art that was being created at a time, you have these very geographically specific movements that sort of like swing back and forth as commentary on one another. So this art versus light versus movement versus stillness versus you know found object versus yes high art just it they're they end up being commentary on each other like once one becomes
1: the main popular the main popular
0: one art which tends to be subversive Mm -hmm. because art is a commentary on the human experience and the vast majority of human Once experience. Once one achieves power, the yes. other
1: one's like, no, you sold out to the fucking man <laughs> with your fucking water lilies. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Got it. Got and it. And so
0: this post-impressionist movement that then goes on to be like Fauvism, which is, you might think about like Matisse and really bold colors. That is all a comment on this delicate, specific impressionist movement that, that took place basically like up until the mid 1880s, okay. and after okay. that, you start to see like reactionary art created. I understand that not a lot of our listeners, or maybe not all of our listeners, will know who Gauguin is. Okay, uh, there's a Gauguin in the museum by our house that I bristle at every single time we walk past it. Yes, and I true. I would spit on the floor if I could in front of it. You but, can. I mean, <laughs> it's so disrespectful. How dare you? <laughs> um. But you didn't know who he was before the first time. I was like, ugh, this guy in this museum. That's the thing. He is in basically every major museum you can think of. His art has sold for hundreds of millions of dollars. Really, uh, people like Picasso and Brock and later artists, just like two decades after he dies, are saying like, oh, yeah, he inspired me. Um,
1: So he is a big deal and is massively successful For this contribution. Oh,
0: no. He is a major fuck up in his real life. Okay. He (laughs) he, he is posthumously very successful. Very celebrated. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, And so this art, this work that I very clearly have a lot to say about is um, something that a lot of our institutions lean on to justify celebrating... Who he is?
1: Like this is important enough stuff mm-hmm. where everybody can agree it's good, so we're gonna go ahead and put this in our museum.
0: Or it's important. This art, this specific movement is important, but it too often uh, leaves out who he was as a person. And people in like the art history world are like, oh yeah, major sleaze. But the the general public wouldn't know that, right? So yeah, I feel you like just this see the is painting.
1: An- you're like, oh, good painter.
0: Yes, but I feel like this is an opportunity to, you know, share a little bit about more, share a little bit more about who he was and also give name to some of the people who inspired his work who are overlooked but made some major sacrifices so that he could be who he is.
1: So let's get to know Paul.
0: Cool. Born June 7th, 1848.
1: Which means this is time for.
0: Audrey's Astrology Corner.
1: Yes, it is. Okay. Gemini. Oh, that's like a... The twins. Yeah, I was going to say Scarface. Two-Face. The twins. But it's okay.
0: (laughs) Definitely not Scarface. No.
1: Okay, yes.
0: So according to the internet, people born on June 7th will endlessly fantasize about love. They have a passionate nature and strong desire. And together with the charm and charisma, they easily draw admirers to them. Because they love the thrill of the chase, commitment to one person may be a problem, but a close, loving relationship with one special person is the secret to their emotional fulfillment and an ideal they should work toward. So on their darker side, they are self-absorbed, forgetful, and indulgent, and at their very best, they are trend-setting, visionary, and entertaining. So by the end of this, you'll know if that's true or not.
1: Yeah. See if he can commit to one person.
0: All right, so like I said, born 1848 in France. His father is a 34-year-old liberal journalist and his mother is a 22-year-old. Her parents were sort of like um, socialist revolutionaries at the time, so it's this family of fairly big influence. They're generally fairly liberal. And because this is a time of a bit of uncertainty in Europe The
1: uncertainty
0: in Europe, the the 1840s, turns out uh, it's not the most stable of times. And because his family is so outspoken in terms of like progressive liberal movements, his father is fired from the newspaper where he works. And so in 1850, when Paul, Eugene Henri Paul, is where does he live again? Uh, at the time, they're in Paris. Oh, he's French. He's French.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. Okay, got it.
0: <laughs> Don't be rude. <laughs> I can barely pronounce things in English. <laughs> Give me Ugh.
1: credit for it. Okay, keep going.
0: All right. They're in Paris. Paul, the baby, is 18 months old. His family set sail to Peru. His mother has connections there. What
1: kind of connections to Peru does she have?
0: Familial. They're on the boat. They're going to Peru. Bibi Gogan's father dies. Mm, on the boat. On the boat. His mom, who at the time is like 26, 27, arrives in Peru with an 18-month-old baby and a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, who is Paul's older sister, and is like, whoops, <laughs> now what? The good news is that those familial connections are actually really important familial connections. So she goes to live with her two kids. Uh, at her grand-uncle's house.
1: A grand-uncle.
0: Grand-uncle. So her grand-uncle has a son-in-law who, at the time, is president in Peru.
1: What? Yeah. Oh, man. Got grand-uncles in high places.
0: Yes. So Paul is living large from 18 months until about six years old.
1: Also, just as an aside, uh, the sawing noise behind <laughs> you is... Uh, just in case we can't edit it out, is just Clyde snoring really loudly on the floor right here.
0: Yeah, and he won't—he won't snore anywhere else in our house. <laughs> no, it he, is like a curse. The we moment lock, we come in here,
1: he just has this like a deep, intense FOMO, Where if we come into this closet to record, he just like howls outside the door until he can be in here and make noise in his sleep.
0: Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, so that's our curse.
1: Yes, just, <laughs> just in case, but.
0: Okay, so we're back. Yeah, so up until
1: six, Gauguin is just like living, it's like Zach and Cody living the sweet life.
0: I assume that that's an accurate metaphor for it. Did you not watch
1: Disney Channel in like four years? I did not. I did not.
0: Um, I was cool (laughs) in high school.
1: (laughs) Well, that's just rude.
0: I mean, I wasn't, but okay, so he's living with his granduncle, privileged life. They have like servants, et cetera, et cetera. But then in 1854, there is a political uprising in Peru. I did not know this, Oh! but now I do. Tried
1: to get away from it in France, just couldn't swing it. Yep. Follows you.
0: His family fell out of favor with the Peruvian people. Uh, his mom, at that point, has no husband, doesn't really have a job. They're he
1: Used to have a granduncle's son-in-law who was president, but that's yep, gone.
0: It's gone, so they have to go back to France. And they go back there. He's six. His mom ends up being a dressmaker and he has like a relatively uneventful childhood from there. But it is now solidly middle class. It is not the like fancy
1: lap of luxury life he was living right
0: at like 1416. He goes to this like military academy ends up joining the army shipped out for a few years while he's gone. His mom dies and he gets a letter about it. And if we know anything about, like, your mom dying while you're in the army, a la Gandhi, mm-hmm. this doesn't go well for him. Nope. Got some issues. It's a painful moment in time. And he eventually comes back, gets a job. Any guesses what he's doing for work? I have it now as a 23-year-old with, like, two years of army experience.
1: Um, no, uh, consulting.
0: Stockbroker. Oh
1: wow! Yeah, it's actually <laughs> on the nose. Okay. Right. So
0: he has like a friend who got him a job. He's a stockbroker. Yep. He's actually not that bad at it. Okay. He makes about a uh, hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year in today's money. Oh wow! Right. So you he's living stock good. Game. Sure. Yeah. Um. He's making that money for a bit of time.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: <laughs> he's making that money when at twenty-five he marries a Danish woman. Her hmm. name is Met. M E T T E, met Sophie, and they have five children together.
1: Five all at once. Uh,
0: in in rapid succession. Okay, in rapid fact.
1: succession. Got yeah. it. Yeah.
0: So he's working as a stockbroker. Look at this, and
1: you, his horoscope said he could not like settle down. There you go.
0: There you go. You have proved me wrong. Let's circle back <laughs> to this in just a little bit. Um. So, he's. In favor in like social circles, right? He's making money. Hell, you, he's young. He's for one hundred fifty thousand
1: dollars a year. You can buy your way into social circles. That's not bad,
0: <laughs> right? Is that the low, low cost of social circles? I'm guessing, days? yeah. Okay, then he meets a few people who are influential in the art world: art critics, art dealers. That's like the whole thing in France in the late eighteen hundreds.
1: Influencers, if you will. The
0: influencers, yes. So then he gets really into art, and he begins painting. And he God, begins painting that's what the just world like, needs.
1: More stockbrokers who think they can paint. Yeah, <laughs> I
0: know. Hey, listen to my SoundCloud. Um,
1: <laughs> Dude, I got the sweet podcast you should check out. Who needs another fucking podcast in the world? Seriously.
0: Exactly. Don't quit your day job. Right. So it's like the mid to late 1870s. He's painting part-time. Just, you know, at this time, like I said, impressionist and still all the rage. Mm-hmm. He's dabbling in... He doesn't have like a ton of formal training. So he's just like painting. He's hanging out in in cafes with artists and then womp womp 1882 stock market crashes
1: uh the famous 1882 french stock market (laughs) crash yes
0: right so they're broke
1: oh yeah it turns out if you make your money in the stock market that helps
0: yep or it doesn't
1: help if you crashes
0: clearly did not have a very good like backup plan they did not invest well
1: yeah well you always get the art thing to fall back on
0: <laughs> so Gauguin is like let's go back to Denmark and we'll go Wait, back
1: oh she's from there that's she's she's right Denmark. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. this because of your parents
0: <laughs> so he goes to Denmark and he's like I am going to be a salesperson." any oh. idea what he sells
1: uh okay what's the douche thing you can sell it's
0: it you you will never be able to guess this
1: um tulips tarps Tarps?
0: Yes. Uh, tarpaulin salesman. Like, big, large tarps. So
1: That's like a thing you could just... Like, I guess if you didn't have a hardware store, you're like, oh, can I go see the, the, the shoemaker and the blacksmith and the tarpist? What's, or, what's the word here?
0: Uh, the tarpaulin salesman. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. He is, unsurprisingly, terrible at this.
1: <laughs> I, honestly, I would like to envision what the best version of this looks like.
0: Right. Well, for one, he doesn't speak Danish.
1: Oh, yeah. That's all. That's, <laughs> mm, that'll do it. That's one thing.
0: For two, people are like, why are you trying to sell me a fucking tarp from France?
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. So this is not it's not just us that thinks this is weird. No. The, the Danish people are like, what the fuck yes. are you doing, man? Why tarps?
0: Yes. Okay. So got he's got it. five kids traveling around trying to sell these tarps. People are like, how is
1: this his first plan?
0: I don't know that this would be his first plan if he had a choice. This okay. is a move of desperation.
1: I mean, clearly.
0: Again, like he's not making any money. So his wife becomes a tutor uh, to people who are learning French. And she becomes the main breadwinner. Why
1: could he have not been a tutor to people learning French?
0: He didn't speak Danish.
1: Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so
0: that's a big plot hole there. Like
1: immersion Immersion method. <laughs>
0: And so they're there, it's like eighteen eighty two to eighteen eighty five. By the end of eighty five, she was like, We're done. Oh, first three, of all it
1: took three years.
0: First of all, you're not the stockbroker man I married. It's the eighteen eighties and we don't have therapy, so we're not gonna repair this marriage. Yes. Yeah, also, you keep beating me up in front of our children.
1: That does it, yeah. That'll that'll do it. Although also I have, thinking back, like It did not seem like in every place in the world, a woman could just be like, you're beating me, so I'm leaving at this point in
0: time. Well, she made all the money. She was in Denmark. His family or her family hated him. And at that point, uh, he was like, fine by me. I want to be an artist anyway.
1: Oh, Jesus. Okay. Right? Yeah.
0: Of that time, his son later wrote, like, it was a very tumultuous time. And when I was 10, I saw, quote, my father bloody my mother's face with his fist. Oh,
1: what a fucking...
0: Yeah, so Dick. when she's like, "Get out to the left, to the left," he's like, "Cool." Mm. Takes his oldest kid and moves back to Paris.
1: Wait, takes one of the kids. Yeah, the ten-year-old.
0: Uh, it's not ten, He's not ten at the time. It's the oldest one.
1: Okay. Wait, wait, wait.
0: Um, the ten-year-old
1: just the, remembers is this. Mem-
0: remembering it in a letter. Yep. 1885. He goes back, not really creating a ton of art because it's winter. His kid is, keeps getting sick they're destitute he's like looking for menial jobs all around he's able to create a little bit at a time once his son is sent to boarding school Gauguin's sister had to pay for it
1: oh he couldn't even he I was about to say how's he gonna right. afford boarding school right but okay. so he's
0: like I'm a shit father my kid's about to die can this kid go to boarding school and his sister's like yes I'll pay for it okay got it by 1886 he has enough work to exhibit enough work and enough connections.
1: Oh, enough work, like not jobs. Enough work, like paintings. Oh, yeah, a yeah,
0: yeah. uh, collection.
1: He's he's been scraping stuff whenever he can, like do a painting here or there, basically for a decade. Okay, and now mm-hmm. he's gonna show it. Th- that
0: year, 1886, he exhibits at the eighth and final Impressionist exhibit. He shows 19 pieces of work. Some of them are painting, and some of them are like carved wood wood reliefs. And it does not go well for our friend. Gauguin.
1: oh okay so see when i was thinking like oh they've got these beefs with these people it's literally because he shows up in the impressionist thing mm-hmm. and they fucking hate it and he's like i'll show you fuckers
0: yeah it's a really inopportune time to be a new artist on the scene as impressionism is dying and you basically have no formal training and have only been creating like semi-impressionistic work because mm. you're not like a fully actualized artist right he shows up and no one cares because that is the year that Georges Seurat debuts Sunday on La Jatte.
1: Wait, is this the one with all the people hanging out on the green hill with like the lady on the blanket and the and umbrella? The umbrella and everything? Okay. Yes. Yeah, so this is. Put this is, in there. I, yeah, everybody's going to know this fucking picture.
0: Yes. Everyone will recognize it. This it everybody is just
1: loses their goddamn minds when they see this. An
0: enormous, massive pointillist
1: piece. How big Huge.
0: Is it? I mean, I. I Big.
1: It's yay big by who, say? Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. I, I actually don't know the measurements, but it's big enough to cause a stir. Big enough for people to be able to get up close and be like, holy shit, those are just dots.
1: There's a lot of dots there. There's okay, <laughs> a got lot it. of
0: dots. Right. So, this is sort of the um, evolution of impressionism to go from this is how light works, to, this is how color works to create light very mm. specifically, at, not as a brushstroke, but as a point in time and space. Right. So, this just causes deep shit a stir. There. Yes, this is like when Beyonce dropped the self titled Beyonce album, yes. and nobody knew it was coming, and then the internet was like, "I'm sorry, screech,
1: lost ricka, their minds, yes. yes,
0: that happens. He doesn't sell anything; he sells like one piece. But he's a real dick about being a, a failure. He takes a hard stand against very specifically surat and impressionism. He was just like, these yeah. guys are frauds. They're just like sellouts, blah, blah, blah.
1: <laughs> and he's like saying this like
0: over a glass of absinthe in like the corner cafe. Oh, yeah, he's obviously. He's like a nobody. He's
1: outside pouting. Yeah. And like, um yeah, yes. I can I just imagine the type. The former stockbroker takes his art to the show and just uh, nobody fucking cares.
0: Nobody. Nobody cares. And so he decides he's like, ah, I can't sell art. This is not the scene for me. I'm going to go to this artist colony in uh, Pont-Avon, which is like a artist colony in Brittany, Brittany, France. And he's like, I'm going to go there because it's cheap to live and I'll fit right in. I'm destitute. <laughs> I'm yes. enigmatic. I'm mm. arrogant. And I'm yep. so grumpy.
1: That's that's the qualifications, basically.
0: Of this time, people write about the fact that it wasn't his art that set him apart it was the fact that he just wore like eccentric rags everywhere and he was so angry and he was like trained as a boxer slash fencer, and so they were like he was just brutish and standoffish and just i mean you know the type oh
1: yeah just like yeah you're
0: a philosophy major that's all your type okay shut up (laughs) yes
1: that's accurate though
0: if you can believe it this does not go well for me (laughs) (laughs) it's cold He's not a very innovative artist yet. He has not sort of, like, found his voice. He's broke. He left five children and a wife in oh, Denmark. Right. Yeah, <laughs> what
1: happened to the kid that's in boarding school? This is just still in boarding school?
0: Yeah. Uh, yes.
1: Who knows? Yeah. Right. Okay.
0: So then he decides, he was like, it's cold here. Where was the last place that I was creative and free and felt good and it was, like, tolerable to live? Peru. When I was rich. When he was six?
1: Yes. Man.
0: Yes. So he decides uh, that he is going to go to the French Caribbean island of Martinique. In 1887, they set out to Martinique to, quote, live like savages.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. So what kind of mindset he's brought to this equation?
0: Here's where we are. Yep. It's 1887. He arrives in Martinique. This stint on this island is brief. It's about 18 months, two years. He paints roughly 12 paintings and wanting to depart from the, like, constructs of Impressionism. This is where those seeds of, like, feeling and bold colors and capturing the, quote unquote, primitive, exotic mm. nature of the island. Yeah. Large blocks of color not like this fervent representation of the real world. He goes back to Paris and he's like, I discovered about myself that I have Peruvian blood. I am of Incan descent. What the? You were French, like <laughs> yes. lived there for like a few years as a kid. Mm-hmm. But I'm like oh. so exotic and uh, check out my super reductive paintings of quote, the exotic Aren't they exotic? Like his whole thing is that he is this bohemian, exotic, quote unquote, like in touch with the primitive savages of this French Caribbean island.
1: Oh, man. Yeah. This type of white person who like travels once in their goddamn life. Yeah. Barcelona. Yeah. Right. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So we can pause right now to just talk about how fucking terrible that is. It's exploitative. It's racist. It's reductive. I just want to point out that we're not endorsing these ideas no. that Be Paul Gauguin has of himself.
1: Literally showing up to, like, try to steal whatever culture he can. In
0: an already colonized island. Yes. Like, he gets there. Honestly, this happens at every island he goes to. There's more than one. And he won't live in the big city because it's too European. He's disappointed by the fact that it's been westernized.
1: Yeah, but it's it's been colonized. Colonized.
0: Yes. Yeah. Okay, so just to recapture the timeline, he has gone from uh, from Brittany to the island of Martinique back to Paris, where he's like, ooh, exotic, mm-hmm. right? Everybody's like, cool, dude, like, neat. Yeah, I'll definitely check out your SoundCloud. That sounds awesome. Nobody's into it. Nobody buys anything. Wow. This makes him even angrier. Because
1: he was like, I finally did something that was new and different and super racist, but nobody's, nobody's loving it.
0: So it's the summer of 1888. He's like, I'm going to go back to that artist colony. People accepted me there. I could be weird. And also, I'm going to go searching for, quote, a reasoned and frank return to the beginning. That is to say, to primitive art. Chilling out at the artist colony trying to find primitive art. Yeah, Just like
1: the entire framing of the search for primitive art alongside this, like, basically just non-European art.
0: Right. And it's, it, it is so forced. It is just a reaction to the fact that he's unsuccessful at European art. Yes.
1: I mean, it's true.
0: <laughs> it's, yeah, it's problematic in um, a multitude of ways. But what he starts to do is mentor other yo- younger artists. And he is like, fuck what you see. How do you feel? Paint what you feel. You know who ate that shit up? Who? No one. Not (laughs) not artists, not consumers, except Vincent van Gogh.
1: Oh, what?
0: So van Gogh sees some of Gauguin's art in a gallery. Uh So Gauguin has like pieces here and there. They're just not, not like commercially successful. They're in galleries. People are like, again, like mildly interested in it, but he's not flying off the shelves.
1: Okay. Okay
0: van gogh sees his art in a gallery with his brother theo and theo van gogh is an art dealer and van gogh is like buy up a few of these pieces and then see if you can get gauguin to come chill with me so we can study art together talk about it this is very oh, this is interesting. before van
1: gogh is van gogh
0: van gogh had started to be van gogh okay right um Again, Van Gogh is one of those artists that was not commercially successful until he was dead.
1: That's true. I mean, like the whole cutting off his ear thing.
0: Interesting that you you speak about cutting off his ear. So Theo buys these three paintings. Yeah. And he's like, hey, Gauguin, I got this brother. He does not have all of his faculties about him. Okay. Yes. <laughs> but he's very interested in your art. And I'm an art dealer. I will get your art into galleries if you can come hang out with my brother. Gauguin is like, yep, I'll be there.
1: Uh, what I've learned about this guy is he's literally like, there's any plan, bad plan, anything to take me away from where I am right now, where I've already become a failure, I'll do it.
0: Let's do it. Yes. It's 1888, sorry, late 1888, and Gauguin goes to hang out with Van Gogh. He hangs out with him for approximately like eight, nine weeks. They don't get along very well. Huh. They argue constantly <laughs> about the purpose of art in people's lives, and I like...
1: I can imagine. It's just
0: like if Joe Rogan got involved in like a discussion of art.
1: <laughs> With another Joe Rogan. <laughs> With
0: another Joe Rogan, yes. So they're discussing art. It's very tumultuous. December 23rd, Van Gogh and Gauguin get into an altercation. Van Gogh brandishes a straight razor. Gauguin later days it out of there. And Van Gogh infamously cuts off his ear. Wait, as a result of this fight? Or so you've been told. Dun, dun, dun. What? Recently, a few art historians have actually spent a decade going through all of the police records and uh, correspondence from Gauguin and Van Gogh at the time. Yeah. And they have a theory that because Gauguin was such a skilled fencer, that he likely sliced off Van Gogh's ear in an altercation. Wait, what? With a sword. Yeah. Wait,
1: wait. So you're... You're telling me Mm -hmm. that Van Gogh was not crazy and cut off his ear, but maybe there was a guy who fucking got in a fight with him because they were both being douchebags about like art discussions and actually cut off his ear. Like this is the ear thief?
0: Potentially. So there's a lot of controversy around this in the art history world. I'm just putting it out there that it is a theory. And there is some um, primary source evidence in correspondence where both Gauguin and Van Gogh talk about um
1: the time you cut off my ear you asshole
0: it's mostly like the story that was concocted to protect gauguin from the authorities oh but the lore that van gogh cut off his own ear and then took it to rachel the sex Mm -hmm. worker yeah um there's still some validity to the fact that he like actually took his ear (laughs) there oh wait that
1: part's not up for debate that part actually happened
0: but who cut off his ear is more controversial than oh you might God. have
1: otherwise thought. Not only is that fucking crazy, but now the story of the ear is even crazier. Because if you are a type of crazy where you're like, I need to gift my ear to someone, that's one level. Sure. But if you're like, somebody just cut off my ear, what do I do with it? This would make a great gift? Like, that's a whole other level.
0: Yes. And let's not say crazy. Let's say suffering from a mental illness. Sure. And whether or not Van Gogh cut off his own ear or Gauguin did it, Gauguin was still involved okay. at some level, either in the, like, leading up to it or the actual severing of face cartilage.
1: Face, face cartilage.
0: <laughs> face meat.
1: Face meat is the worst <laughs> band name I could possibly think of.
0: I can think of worse things, to be <laughs> honest. Face meat sounds quite terrible, but it's not the worst thing I can think of, regardless. Again, leaves he goes back to the artist colony he keeps creating but he's not successful again so the reason he thinks he's not successful is because he is an artist who is exotic and bohemian operating within the constructs of the European art market expectations so he's like this time Tahiti Wait, Tahiti? Mm Mm-hmm. In 1891, he finally sells enough work that he has enough money to move to Tahiti. He visits his family for the last time. He sees Met and his multiple children, then sets sail to Tahiti, vowing to, quote, escape European civilization and everything that is artificial and conventional. He never sees his family again.
1: Oh, he's like out for good.
0: He's out for good. And he doesn't die very soon. He's just out, abandons him totally, go into Tahiti. Wow. He really believes that he is like this European uh ambassador of the exotic. See? <sighs> kind of like I kept reading the word exotic and
1: thinking Joe Exotic.
0: Joe Exotic. Yes. It's That's like the similar guy. outcomes, right? Like my man's no.
1: Yeah. And and the thing that kills me about his entire like othering of all of these people who don't live in Europe is that he shows up and he's like, no, I don't want to live in the city. It's too European. right?" But the most European thing about him is that he's wanting to go and fucking colonize these places right he like wants to go and find the the places where the europeans aren't yet he wants to go conquer whatever right and and instead of just taking the land he wants to take the culture right he wants to take like
0: and profit from it the
1: profit right exactly Mm -hmm. he is still doing the same exact extractive you know act that everybody else is doing but he's like couching it in the terms of like oh i'm this art you know influencer Right. He's
0: like gentrifying Tahiti and being like, but I was here first. Yeah. So like. Makes me cool. Makes me cool. By now, if you have not gotten a sour taste in your mouth from the beating his wife, mm-hmm. leaving his children, mm-hmm. allegedly.
1: Cutting off Van Gogh's uh, ear. A Van
0: Gogh. Here's where it's going to take a turn south for you.
1: So, oh, now's where he turns into an now's, asshole?
0: Now's where. So similar to when he gets to Martinique. He again is like once he lands in Tahiti, he's like this is not the like carefree, uh, laissez faire island where everybody's like free love and just like this is westernized. He's bummed out about it. He moves forty five kilometers, which in today's money is
1: <laughs> <laughs> a thousand miles,
0: twenty seven miles outside of the major city where he lands.
1: Okay. Wait, 20 miles?
0: Twenty-seven, thirty. Sure, okay. I mean, in like the late 1800s, you have to have a horse and a cart, and that's like a full day's journey.
1: Okay, sure, right? Sure.
0: It's called a horse and trap, actually. I learned that researching this.
1: A horse and trap?
0: A horse and trap, yeah. It's um like a sporty, a trap is like a sporty contraption. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's where it comes from. Mm. You can quote me on that. <laughs> that holds two to four people that a horse, a single horse, can, can pull with ease. So it's not like a full carriage. It's like what you would imagine sort of the open air buggies to be like.
1: Sure. He moves a day's trap ride out of town.
0: He does. And this is when his most well-known paintings sort of begin in earnest. Art historians like to use phrases like, he borrowed from Tahitian culture to make art. But... Yeah,
1: I mean, as we've clearly established at this point, he is showing up as a European... Taking the cultural elements that suit him and, like, going to sell it to other people.
0: Right. He's sending paintings, basically one at a time, back to France. Right? He's producing a ton, but his very best ones he's sending back. And after about four of them go back, he sends roughly, like, nine at this point, but four of them go back and they're pretty successful. He thinks, hell yeah, I made it. Time to go back to Paris and capitalize on being the king of the exotic. He goes back to Paris two years after arriving in Tahiti for the first time. He shows up and everybody's like, so you're back? And he was like, yes. And I'm cool. Love me. Where is my fair? Finally. Everybody is honestly at this point just like, shut the
1: fuck <laughs> up. Get out of here.
0: You are not cool. Your ska band is weird. <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> this is also the moment in time. 1893 when he starts to show the earliest signs of his um syphilitic infection
1: oh want
0: to pause for a second make a note about stis totally normal they happen to lots of people this is not a comment on stis don't want there to be any sort of stigmatization out there this is just an important part of van gogh's narrative or uh Gauguin's narrative yeah also syphilis is bad It's not great for people. There are now treatments for it. In the late 1890s, early 1890s, there were not. All right, so he's traveling back and forth from Paris. He arrives. He's angry. No one wants to buy his art. He says, well, if I can't, he thinks, like, if I can't sell my art, maybe I can sell my story about being this, like, worldly person who travels to these exotic islands. I'm going to create this travelogue. I'm going to call it Noah Noah, and it's going to be semi-autobiographical. Call it what? Noah Noah, N-O-A, N-O-A. He begins preparing this semi-autobiographical travelogue, and he also begins having an affair, which is the term that most people use when talking about it. But I'm going to say statutory rape. Oh, shit. Of a teenage girl very publicly like he wants this known uh this girl's name is anna or anna
1: man if anything caps his image off as this kind of particular loser who keeps coming back to his hometown Mm -hmm. it's got to be like the girlfriend that's way younger than him because no one else wants to be with him right oh man of
0: importance to the fact that he's having this public affair is that he routinely emphasizes the fact that she is half asian half, or half Indian, half Malaysian. Ugh, he paints pictures of her. This is one of those scenarios though, that's kind of like, yeah, I have a girlfriend in Canada. Very few people ever meet this Anna. He may be the
1: kind of person that has a 14-year-old girlfriend that he fetishizes and he may also just be the kind of person who lies about having a 14-year-old girlfriend that he fetishizes.
0: Right, and this would not be the, the first time that he describes a teenage love affair. In Noah Noah, which gets published much later, he recounts of leaving Tahiti the first time in 1893, and he describes this girl, I can't even say woman, she's not a woman, she's a girl named Tahura. He describes her as, quote, a child of about 13. This motherfucker says child. Oh, God. He recounts how he married her in one day in a Tahitian ceremony, and then how... She lived with him as his wife. And then he says that as he was leaving, she wept on the quayside, her legs dangling in the water. Quote, the flower which she had put behind her ear in the morning had fallen wilted upon her knee. It's a really convenient narrative. If you're super into being known as a pedophile. I mean, yes.
1: This is a story he makes up is... Just additionally gross.
0: Absolutely. 1893, he's got this potentially real 13-year-old girlfriend in Tahiti, this potentially real teenage girlfriend in Paris, and he's still hoping to get back with his wife, who he's still legally married to.
1: Wait, he's never divorced her and he's now hoping to get her back?
0: Yes. But he's broke and she's (laughs) like, no, I'm not doing this again. Get out. So they never reconcile a lot of people talk about the gray area of morality in this moment. Wait, what? Yeah. who?
1: Who's pointing out some gray area here?
0: Lots of folks. <laughs> Too many to make me comfortable with the fact that there are people arguing. It's okay, because at the time, 13 was the age of consent in France. Just to be clear. Mm-hmm. Be clear. Age Very of consent
1: clear. or not. A 13-year-old is a child.
0: Have you met 13-year-olds? I was thinking about this. I was like, (laughs) what the fuck was I doing at 13? Like volleyball. (laughs) Pogs. Pogs. Well.
1: (laughs) Hey, wait, what? Okay. We were all doing pogs, right?
0: Yeah, at like 10.
1: Back me up here. Let's not
0: have a pog sidebar here. My line in the sand is very much, this is the wrong side of history. There's no moral gray area. That is gross.
1: Child brides we're going to come down with a controversial stance. Our official position is that child brides are not good. Not great. Die on that hill.
0: He's back in Paris, sort of like grasping at the social ladder straws at this point. He's not a successful, he's not a successful artist. He's out of money. He's not successful, like, in terms of networking or making a name for himself. So what he decides to do is, like, conduct this weekly salon. He invites Wait, all of can these. You say that word again. Salon,
1: mm-hmm. salon.
0: Got It's it. artists coming together, drinking absinthe, and like talking about how cool they are. Yeah. What they think art should be. The movement. Neat. Okay. I've been in a lot of workshops. Cool. Um. But that is how he is going to make his way back into, like, the Society of Artists. People describe him of this time as like having. An exotic persona, where he dressed in Polynesian cult costumes, and really played up the fact that he had like been to the islands. Oh man, it's just so gross. Yeah, it's, it's so, so gross. gross. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, I swear to God, it's like the kid who does the travel, like a, a year abroad, study abroad year, and like comes right. back in traditional garb. Right. Right. Like.
0: And it's not like he went there and documented it for the sake of posterity. He was back and forth traveling.
1: Yeah. And he was like, is this not popular enough yet? Let me write this. De- let me like yes,
0: la- exactly. write this up. Right. So he spends all of 1894 and 1895 trying to raise money. He wants to go back to Tahiti. He's selling art, but he's not making any money. So in 1895, he asks basically all of his rich artist friends and he's like weaseled his way into the social circle for money so he can go back to tahiti he scrounges it up and in 1895 he goes back to tahiti by this point apart from the few people who are giving him money everybody thinks he's a joke he's like lambasted mm-hmm. by the upper echelon of parisian society he's considered kind of like an outcast and Surprise, surprise, a creep. Not yeah. everybody thought it was cool to sleep with teenagers.
1: Turns out. Mm-mm. Turns out there are at least some semblance of people who have always known that child rapists are bad. That's the other thing about every time we have this conversation about like, oh, for the time, these social norms, blah, 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 blah. blah. Every time we have that conversation, it turns out like, yes, there was this set of people who understood that this was like, Repulsive at the time, and said so loudly to anybody who listened, be like, "Hey, this is repulsive." Right. So the social, so whenever you like have these, you know, moral, like, discussions, the the thing that gets me is like, there were people always knew it was bad. It was just like, like more people, less people were willing to speak out against it, right? And over time, all that happened was like more and more people started to speak out against it, and eventually come. But it's not like if you showed up in the day, it it was impossible to recognize that. Raping a thirteen-year-old was like a bad thing.
0: Yeah, and it's also one of those things that, especially when we talk about marriage or like relationships, this is—I feel like this is where we come back to multiple times over and over. Like Alexander Graham Bell talking about he was twenty-five with a fifteen-year-old. Can we call him a pedophile? Like, yes. yes, we can. It's not like we look back on slavery and we're like, well, can you we know, call
1: those people racist?
0: <laughs> right. It's like they were racist. Yes. Like clearly. there is an absolute line, and and. I am there are very few ideas in which I have absolute firm boundaries, like you can't sway me beliefs. This is one of them, yeah, yeah this is not like oh, there's gray area because of the time. It's like maybe more people were willing to accept it at the time, but it doesn't make it right,
1: yeah, no, I'm with you on this so there there are, there are I am firmly in the camp that there are ways to encourage. And promote human flourishing. And there are ways that cause human suffering. Disproportionately and unevenly at times, but cause human suffering. And this definitely is one of them. You do not have to be a moral absolutist (laughs) to say that this is a bad idea.
0: Right. You don't. Speaking of bad ideas. Okay. Back in Tahiti. 1895. (laughs) Back on his bullshit. He's like, hey, 14-year-old neighbor girl, would you like... To come live with me and be my wife. Her name was Pahura. During the years that Gauguin was involved with her, he fathered two of her children. Oh. One of them survives, but he's like forty-three at the time. Forty, and and this girl is fourteen. 14.
1: Mm-hmm. Jesus,
0: he's he's living on this island, impregnates a fourteen-year-old twice. And eventually, by 1901, he's disillusioned by the Western influence in Tahiti. So he once again abandons a wife and child.
1: Oh, my God.
0: And moves to a nearby island.
1: God, can you just imagine, like, being such a dickbag about this fetishization that you're like, my Tahitian 14-year-old is too European for me. Sorry, I got to pull this same fucking playbook.
0: Same playbook. So he moves to this island, and he sort of bamboozles this catholic bishop
1: this is the story of his life (laughs) yeah everybody
0: he starts going to mass regularly while living in this like temporary housing and he convinces this catholic bishop who is also european to give him a plot of land across the street from this catholic mission school because he's like this western across the street from
1: the fucking school Mm -hmm. oh god this doesn't sound good
0: it's not with the help of the bishop and A few indigenous people from the island, he builds a two-story home. He calls this home the House of Pleasure.
1: No, he fucking doesn't.
0: (laughs) He does. So at this point... Can you just imagine today, let's say there's
1: an elementary school, Mm -hmm. and somebody's like, Mm -hmm. hey, I'm going to build my little estate right across Mm -hmm. the street. Y'all want to help? It's going to be called the House of Pleasure. Like, who Who in their right mind, doesn't. Oh, you know, actually, you know exactly who fucking helps him? The Catholic priest? That's who helps him. Oh, my so, God.
0: <laughs> oof. I can barely contain it. So, shit gets real rowdy at the House of Pleasure. No
1: fucking way.
0: First of all, there's parties. Lots of them. Syphilitic. 43-year-old Gauguin is like luring girls and men to his home with alcohol, which is like not he's like bringing them to this house that seems like elaborate and big the bishop is like, you have to stop, and Gauguin was like, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to stop. In fact, I'm going to build these massive wooden sculptures, first of you, bishop, and second of your teenage lover. Oh, wait, and I'm going to put them outside of my house. What?
1: <laughs> oh, so wait, it was not an exaggeration to be like, oh, the... Bi- the-
0: so what then the he fuck? creates eight more sculptures that adorn this house of pleasure that... Supposed to be a very public attack on the hypocrisy of the church and sex.
1: He's got a statue garden of all mm-hmm. the people the bishop is fucking.
0: Basically. God, I gotta say, he's
1: a fucking douchebag. Yeah,
0: I know, but this is a primo move.
1: It's a game-recognized <laughs> game. You want to call me out, priest? Wow. Yes. Wow. This is This is the first move I like. Although... For the record, Mm -hmm. could not come from a worse human being. (laughs) Could not.
0: No. So, again, let's be very clear that Gauguin is not one to be the moral authority on sex. No. It's just that he's petty. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) He's fine. The pettiness is the only good thing about this fucking pedophile.
0: So, at the Pleasure House, slash House of Pleasure, this is where he takes his fourth 14-year-old bride. Oh, my God. And he straight up took her from the missionary boarding school across the street from his like house. Like, fucking
1: knew he would. Like,
0: any God,
1: anytime you're building your house across the street from the elementary school, mm-hmm. you're like, this but, is But not- he was,
0: like, actively campaigning against the morality of these mission missionary schools. He was like, they're bad. They're imperialistic. This is, again, just like a Western ideal being imposed on people. But then he was like, but I would like to have Marie Rose, which is the Western name he gives her. Okay. Her, like, name at the Catholic school to be my bride.
1: Marie Rose. Mm-hmm. Got it.
0: One Marie article. Marie Rose is,
1: like, a very Catholic name, by it's the way. It's very Catholic. Yes. 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 Okay.
0: But one article talks about Marie Rose and the unpleasantness of being Gauguin's bride or lover at this time. Lover is such a gross word because she's a child, but they don't, like, officially get married.
1: Yeah. Gauguin's victim.
0: Victim. And they say, quote, this can scarcely have been a pleasant task for her as Gauguin's sores were by then extremely noxious and required daily dressing. No, no,
1: No. could scarcely have been pleasure. They're trying to like be like getting raped by this 40 something year old with open sores on his junk might not have been a blast.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's not good. (laughs) Nevertheless, she gets pregnant at this point. He's got this house. He's got this girl. She's pregnant with his kid. He gets a dog and a cat. He gets a cook and a servant. This is where he feels like he has finally made it as a Pacific Islander.
1: Yeah, of course he's made it because his entire life he's been trying to like be the cool kid. And really, all he ever wanted was just uh, a house across the street from the Catholic elementary school where he could like abduct, abduct the kids and you know, find victims consistently.
0: Free of the European ideals. Oh, my God. Anyway. This is just,
1: like, the most colonial story. Like, he's, he's, he's like, mm. oh, I'm some, I'm some new fancy thing. No, it's just, like, the most fucking colonial thing. Oh,
0: it's terrible. It's terrible. And just to go back to this idea of him being this artist who is held up on this pedestal, the fact that you don't know any of this, and he is arguably, like, one of the, I would say, ten most influential artists of turn of the century.
1: I think he's like lining the halls of our institutions like that are trying to demonstrate what greatness. Pictures
0: of these teenage girls.
1: Oh shit, that's the oh this brings a whole new darker light to all those pictures you showed me at the beginning. Right. Oh my God.
0: By July of this year, it's 1902. His victim is seven months pregnant. She returns to her village which is like six miles away. She's gonna give birth with her family there. He's like, no, I'm not doing that. He stays in the pleasure house by December of that year, so he has a child this This girl has a daughter who his descendants still live on this island. um,
1: wait to this present day
0: to this present day. oh God, she has a child. He basically never meets this child. He's too incapacitated by his syphilis to leave um. The partying has stopped, obviously. He went through this sort of rapid, productive period between when his victim left and before December. So like July to December, he's creating, creating, creating. Some of like very well-known pieces are created then, but he's realizing his health is in rapid decline. So a lot of the pieces are on his own mortality. He's
1: deteriorating. He's deteriorating.
0: By December, he can't work. Except to write another autobiography.
1: Oh, of course. Of course. Like
0: Napoleon, who's like dying of stomach cancer the last two months of his life, he writes another autobiography. He shit talks basically everybody ever in oh, this. Yes, yeah. He tries to destroy the reputation of Met, his wife, the bishop, all the artists who didn't like him. I mean the
1: bishop sounds like he fucking deserved it, yeah. but everybody else.
0: He goes after essentially the entire population of Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> But this autobiography is not allowed to be released until Met dies, because he dies before it can be published. Met, as his wife, has, like, the rights to it. By May of 1903, he's addicted to morphine, because he's dying. He's totally alone. And he has one of a number of heart attacks, but this one kills him. He dies suddenly. And he died never having gained sort of the fame and fortune that he wanted in real life. Following his death, sort of like the cult of personality, raises his celebrity to the point where people are like, oh, he was this bohemian who lived on this island. And look at all this great art. And he influenced Picasso, who we also know stole art from indigenous African culture. And, uh, you know, now... All around the world, Gauguin's art is shown, it's famous. In 2010, there was an author named Adrian Searle, and he wrote that, quote, Gauguin's art is a hodgepodge of inconsistent and seemingly incompatible styles and manners, half-digested and invented myth, symbols, stories, and illusions. He personifies the idea that the artist is as much an invention as the art itself. Conscious of his striking looks, he paints himself as a hero of his own story. Which is a flattering take on Gauguin.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, does not seem like he deserves it.
0: The less flattering take is by an actual biographer, an art historian, who noted, Gauguin seems to... Oh, her name was Nancy Mole Matthews. I want to give her credit. She notes that Gauguin seems to have fallen for the myth of the Tahiti he created. He returned expecting the erotic ideal... That was only ever a figment of his imagination. Of course he didn't find it. And the disappointment was profound. He died a twisted and bitter man, having alienated everyone both at home and in Tahiti. It's a sad story of a man who believed his own fiction.
1: Yes. And a fiction it fucking
0: was. It was. Feel like that's a great way to wrap up his life and legacy. And, uh, he's not my hero. And I love art history, even the worst parts of it. And he's the worst part.
1: Yeah. Oh, my Don't God. Don't love him. The fact that that somehow, as awful as he was, people were like, oh, these are a good representation of this moment that we're going like, to celebrate as being this great contribution to art. Like,
0: Yeah. Have you ever been a white man in art? That's exactly how it goes every single fucking time.
1: It makes me feel like... The equivalent is like literally if in 30 years we're just like all like, you know, if we had to sum up the 2020s, the great hero of this decade was Joe Exotic. Right. <laughs> like that's, and then we like fucking like, you know, that yeah. becomes the symbol of our times. Yes. What the fuck?
0: It's a wild, wild ride. If you liked this story of Eugene-Henri Paul Gauguin, and you want to hear more of other heroes, we've got like 25 others in the bank.
1: Yeah, we have a lot of episodes. If you are coming to us relatively new and have not heard back um, some of my favorites, the deep cuts. I love Christopher Columbus and Mother Teresa. Those are some of the favorites I've done.
0: Well, those are yours.
1: Yes. How about you? What do you like?
0: I really, I found Coco Chanel to be very interesting. Oh, that I don't was think it's my one. very best performance as a podcaster, but I do like that one. I liked um, the John Lennon episode is interesting. Oh yeah, that's a good one. The Reagan one is so surprising to me.
1: And so relevant.
0: So relevant. Still. George III is relevant to this moment in time and um yeah i think those are some of my favorites
1: if you are listening on apple Podcasts, please if you could leave a review we have some great reviews and if you leave us a review we will shout you out just screenshot the review after you leave it and send Mm -hmm. it to us
0: yeah, you can also Thank go you. back and change some of your reviews. We had one person do that. Yeah, left a, a four- five star, loved it, couldn't get enough of it. Review,
1: and then we hit one that whatever it was, we don't even know what episode it was.
0: Probably Reagan.
1: <laughs> Little too close to home. They changed it to a two <laughs> star. And they're like, "Fuck you, no." Nope, so sorry about it. Yeah, sorry about your luck. But
0: listen, we no, no one is sacred. No, we have Picasso in there.
1: Steve Jobs.
0: Yeah, no like. one is no one is safe because as it turns out. If you make it to celebrity status, you've probably done some really fucking shitty things. Yes. We've learned this. Kylie Jenner. There's, yeah, literally, literally no one that we have researched, even the ones we haven't put on here. No one is immune to some sort of corruption, some sort of exploitation. It's It's just what happens. And it's bad. So.
1: Until next time.
0: Never be a hero.
1: Don't be a hero.
0: Bye.